Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. Praise the Lord. It's good to see you here today. I've been gone and uh, down in Texas. I feel like I'm kind of splitting my citizenship here lately, but uh, at any rate, it's good to be here. And Tresor, it's so good to meet you, man. I, I have heard about this guy. And uh, most of you know I have such a warm spot in my heart for Africa. I think I've, I've been on the, quote, dark continent 25 times. And uh, it may be dark. I'm not sure, sure we're not catching up. But the good thing about a dark place is that the light shines brightest. And this young man is obviously doing that. And I thank God for him. And I thank God for the opportunity to plant seed in that continent. And uh, God is doing some great things over there, and I know these guys are going to be a big, big part of that. Um, over the last couple of weeks, the Lord has been laying something on my heart that I want to share with you today. Uh, I've entitled it, Facing Your Giants. And uh, as we've been worshiping today, it's like I, I, if I could have picked the songs, I would have. And uh, these, we, these were great. They're speaking to places inside of us that need to be lifted up. He talked about the people in that neighborhood that are made to feel worthless. I'm telling you, the enemy's work over history has been to make what God created in his image to feel worthless. And I want to talk to you about that today. You know, the, the book of Exodus talks about a, a transition of people that had been birthed in slavery. They'd spent some 430 years in slavery, and now they had been brought out. And God brought them out in, in a powerful way by leading them through the Red Sea, which is a beautiful picture of salvation. The Bible tells us that, they were, that the people were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So he brought them through, and literally that was the dividing line between that deadly uh, experience that they were having there in Egypt and the life-giving one that he was promising them. And as we all know, there is a process between the promise and the provision. And so what we're going to talk about today is that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 11 reminds us of something, and I don't think we talk about this near enough. It says, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition or instruction upon whom the ends of the world are come. So the closer we get to the, uh, the coming of Christ and the, and the ultimate end of uh, planet Earth itself, we need to understand that this is even more important than it may have been at times past. Hebrews 4.1 echoes the same sentiments. It said, Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, which is a euphemism for the promised land, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have come short of it. So I'm here today to try and deal with that issue. How are we coming short, perhaps, of what God had in mind for us? You know, that if you have a, a chance, go back and read these verses and read the surrounding verses because the context there is very, very important and it will strengthen your resolve. From these references alone, we have to conclude that the journey to the promised land is a journey each one of us are undertaking, whether we know it or not. I can't speak for you, but I know I don't want to fail to reach the destination the Lord has in mind for me. You know, a lot of people feel like they're just part of the, the great unwashed, and they, they really don't have a destination in life. They don't really have 
an ultimate mission in life. And I'm here to tell you that God is so personal. He created you in his image, and he created you with something in mind that he wants you to experience and fulfill. And a lot of us don't realize that. We just think, oh, we're just living our lives. We're just doing the best we can, and one day we'll go to heaven. And, and hopefully you do, but there's a whole lot more to it than that. I don't want to get to heaven one day and find out I missed the whole idea that God had in mind for me. And that's basically what these scriptures are talking to us about. You know, there's a whole body of information in the scriptures that deal with this particular uh, scenario that we'll discuss today. And I want to give you a couple of points along the way to help us navigate through this and get something from it. Number one, rescuing us from slavery isn't the ultimate goal God had in mind. It is, however, essential as a starting point of the journey toward our destiny. Over in Deuteronomy 6.23, it says this regarding this particular journey that the Lord brought the people on. It says, then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land that he swore to our fathers. We need to understand that the coming out of salvation Coming out of being awakened to your spiritual reality and your value in the kingdom of God is just the beginning. It's only foundational to what God has in mind for you in the future. And to, to miss that point is to just kind of go through life purposeless. Number two, we're going to encounter all kinds of well-entrenched enemies who will resist the plans of God for us. Deuteronomy chapter 7 is a, is a magnificent chapter, and I'd recommend it to you to read it and meditate on some of the attitudes and, and the proclamations that God is making over his people and the instructions that he's giving for us to make it possible for us to achieve the things that the Lord wants for us. You know, the, uh, the ideas in, in Deuteronomy chapter 7 are pretty, pretty blatant and pretty, pretty stark. And he talks to the people and says this in chapter 7, verse 1. It says, when the Lord God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And then he adds another statement. Seven nations greater and mightier than you. It's kind of important for us to understand that the Lord is not downplaying the power and the capability of the enemies that resist you on your journey. I want to take some moments here today to go through these names because in the Bible, a lot of the things that you don't understand sometimes can be unlocked by looking at the Bible names and what they really meant to the people of that day. And these seven tribes right here, these seven little nation states, they had their own kings. They were always fighting each other. But this was the land that God had chosen for his people. But these people were the occupiers. These people were stark enemies of the people of God and God's purposes over them. The Hittites, for instance, their name literally has this connotation, terrorizers. It means to prostrate, to break down by violence to beat down, to discourage, to cause confusion or fear, to dismay, to shatter, to be broken, panicked, cracked. And literally, the, one of the terms that was used in regard to them was an annoyance. 
I wonder if there's anybody here this morning that's got some of those things that just war at you all the time, and it just is an annoying thing. Don't be looking around. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about those things that are in the back of your mind that cripple you, that make you not want to take the chances, that make you want to back off and hide in the crowd, that tell you you aren't capable, that reminds you of dumb things you've done, of things you, where you failed, of the weaknesses that you know were inherent in your life and your family. Let me just tell you, these Hittites are very much alive and well today. When we talk about the enemy, we often see a description of him called the accuser of the brethren. But I also understand that the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. Basically, folks, he has been disempowered because the Lord Jesus Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave upon his resurrection. And the enemy has a voice. He has a voice. But the only power of his voice is what you accept. This mentality that he tries to, to, to literally cover us with, that robs us of our destiny, robs us of what God has in mind for us, is very, very real. And so you and I have to do what he told them to do. The Gergeshites, that's how somebody moves in down the street from you. They stir up trouble. Have you ever been around people that wherever they go, it seems like they just cause trouble? Well, the enemy is always there to try and stir up trouble between you and somebody else. He's always there to try and replace the peace of God that passes understanding with all kind of controversy and all kind of issues. He is good at stirring up trouble. The Amorites... These are what's called the prominent ones. They were mountain dwellers, and they were known for being people in their prominent role, pardon me, in their prominent role that they would challenge with words. It reminds me of sometimes government officials or, 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 or uh, people that, that have position in life, and their words count because of the power that they hold. The Amorites are also known as murmurers. Talkers and slayers. The Canaanites are called trappers. They bring low with words. And believe me, all of these terms are embodied in the root words for these people's names. Trappers, they bring low with words. They humiliate us in depression. They're merchants and traffickers. These people are the kind of folks that you may be, you know, I've had coaches in my life that, that practice kind of a Canaanite-ish uh, way of doing things. They criticize and criticize, and they point out your failures and your faults. And, and, and as, as a player, you were always worried about failure. On the other hand, I've had coaches that over the years that, that saw your potential, and they spoke to you in different ways, and you rose to their expectations, these particular people here were always in the business of putting folks down, trapping them in some spectrum of potential. And so you can't go beyond this. It's like basically humiliating as in depression. And boy, we, we understand that. We're living in a nation right now that is basically dealing with depression. 
We're living in a world, if you want to get true about it or honest about it, there is a lot of depression worldwide today. The suicide rates are up amongst groups of people that normally don't commit suicide. I'm telling you, this is very real. And here we are on the, on the cusp of the final events on planet Earth. When the kingdom of God is supposed to just rise up among us and the greater days for the kingdom of God are to be just prior to the coming back of the Lord. So I don't want to fall into the care and the domination of these kind of spirits as we face some of the greatest days that the church will ever know. It's going to happen, folks. As sure as we're in this room this morning, it is going to happen that the Lord is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. It's going to happen. It's happening now. But we might miss the bulk of it if we are dominated by these things. We don't want to do that. The parasites. The original meaning of that name meant lack of commitment. Lack of commitment. We don't know anything about that, do we? People say, yeah, you can count on me, but you really can't. Lots of things we've said, oh, yeah, we'll do that, but we don't. There's something about the flakiness of of humankind that is spoken to here. These people were also known to be squatters and illegal occupants in places they don't belong. Hivites are declarers or pronouncers. They're serpents. And the name also indicates compromise. I think of the Hivites when I think of the experience Jesus had on the mountain uh, during his fast, during his 40 days in the wilderness when he was tempted by the devil. And we, we see that kind of mentality there. He was pronouncing certain things over Jesus and drawing G- Jesus into a place where he could have to compromise his calling and the truth that he held to follow the suggestions of this uh, serpent that, that visited him there. The Jebusites. Jebusites were known as those that trample down, those that loathe, those that subjugate, those that ruin and cause downfall, cause heaviness, discouragement, literally meaning to trample underfoot and to pollute. What I think is, is remarkable about these seven groups is that people's names usually come from something that they do for a living or something that they have as a gifting if you follow them all the way back. There's not a single shepherd in the bunch. There's not a single fisherman on the coastal regions that would be known for, for harvesting fish. There's not, not anybody here that would, would prosper society but those that would detract from it and tear it down. And they reflect a demonic mentality of the destruction of that which carries the image of God. You and I were created in his image. It was his desire to bestow his image upon us. And Satan himself had fallen from heaven while he was Lucifer because he desired to be like the Most High. But God gave it to you and me. Satan hates you for that very thing, what he fell seeking to achieve. God gave to you and I for doing virtually nothing. It was his choice. 
So if you wonder why the enemy hates you, he hates you because you have what he sought. And it was a gift. So it's an understandable thing that the enemy would hate us. He knows his future, and he also knows ours. And he's trying the best, best way he can to, to literally cheat the Lord out of his prize. Don't let it happen. You know, then as we read through this list, we get some encouraging news on the one hand, and we hear on the other hand that these nations are mightier than we. Number three, there's some rules of engagement for the upcoming conflict that the Lord gives out in this same chapter, verses 1 through 26. It should be noted that it was a fact that the Israelites as a fighting force were essentially outclassed by their enemies in significant ways. However, with the favor and the power of God leading them into the battle, the enemy had zero options to hinder God's agenda. Their only real strategy was to demoralize and intimidate their victims into inaction or compromise. I believe that's still the way it works today. The enemy is always trying to tell us that we can't, that we're not welcome, that we're worthless, and it will do something to our mentality of risk-taking that is so necessary. Somebody said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. I'm risking looking foolish, but I'm risking it based on what God has said to me. That's what faith is. Hearing what God has said and understanding it from the heart and then acting upon that thing. But it's amazing how the enemy wants to intimidate us and tell us that we're going to look like a fool. That can't possibly happen for us. And basically demoralize us into the point of inaction or compromise. And compromise is your enemy, my friends. We've been called to compromise by our society. And God says, you're still a set-apart people. You're still a holy people unto me. And we shouldn't ever compromise that because we belong to him. We are called by his name. And uh, we are filled by his spirit, hopefully. Um. The truth was and is today that anyone who is willing to follow these procedures in spite of the attacks will be able to inherit the territory that the Lord has allocated for them. I'm, I'm here to declare to you this morning that there is territory that God wants you to take. There's a place in God, there's a place in destiny that has your name on it. And God wants you to occupy it. And he wants you to occupy it while you still have enough years to bear fruit in it. Everybody. I've said this thousands of times from this pulpit. There is no such thing as a Christian without a ministry. You're not called to be a spectator in the kingdom. You're called to be a fruit bearer in the kingdom. Somebody's going to give a large amount of money this morning to that to that enterprise there in the Congo. Somebody's going to do it. Somebody, and several somebodies probably are going to do that, and we're going to see seed planted on your behalf, and there's going to be a reward waiting for you in heaven one day based on what you did. We don't talk near enough about that. If we eat all of our seed now, it won't be growing anything for eternity. It's a powerful thing to, to bet on the come, to bet on the future, and to find your destiny and invest yourself in that destiny today while you breathe. So important. Number four, 
we should realize that our enemies currently occupy territory that the Lord has targeted for kingdom occupation. Tresoros told you about the darkness in, in the Congo there. I've never been to the Congo. I've been to Uganda a couple of times right next door. And there's plenty of darkness all over the continent. But what he's talking about there, do you think God just wrote those people off? Do you think they're really worthless? Let me tell you, God's no respecter of people. We know he loves us. Sometimes we wonder, does he really love them? Let me tell you, God's near to those that are broken-spirited and contrite in heart. And there's people over there, there's people everywhere you go that are, that are being tormented, that are in difficult positions. But I'll tell you something, they're being tenderized for what we have to offer. You never know what the chaos in society does to tenderize people and get them ready for the entrance of God's Word. And God's Word often comes to them through the pragmatic uh, uh, ministry that comes, like, like what they were talking about when they went in and tried to minister to the people who were the, the victims of that volcanic eruption. It's amazing what God gives us opportunities to do if we have a mentality of the kingdom. And so it's a, it's a fun thing to understand, and it's a fun thing even to participate in. The rules of engagement here that the Lord specifies are designed to eradicate the practices and culture that have existed and to replace them with one designed to further a culture of a holy and set-apart people. God is not interested in us becoming part of them. Do you understand what I'm saying? He says, be ye holy. For I am holy. Holy means set apart. In other words, if you have some money that you have set apart for your vacation, or you have some time set apart to meet with somebody, you you have literally set something aside and dedicated it to a purpose. God says, you are a holy or set apart people unto me. If he's going to do anything on planet earth... He's going to do it through us. Now, we might get an assist from time to time from an angel, but they're here to minister to the saints. We're here to minister to the world. If we don't, we are missing our destiny, and we may be responsible for someone else missing theirs. It's been committed to us. What an honor that is. It will redefine our existence. And eternity will smile. You know, Heath is a good friend of mine. We've, we've talked many, many hours over the, over the time I've known him. And he has said a couple of times, he says, you never have to apologize for purity. Isn't that wonderful? When you don't have to lay down at night and wonder when what you did or said is going to catch up with you. When you, you really... When you dedicate yourself to the purposes of God, it is such a pure thing, and, and it is such a restful thing. And finding the rest of God is, is such a huge, huge issue. And, and it's not that hard to do. But when we know something, there's things all around us that God has, has designated as places to pour out his glory and to possess those things for kingdom. And you and I are the first place, and then we, in, in return for that, 
began to be those that gather things unto his kingdom. And what a, what a great thing it is to be part of that. I want to take just a couple of minutes here in, in passing for verses 6 through 8. I'm going to read those to you. This is kind of humbling. It says, The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were in number more than any other people, for you are the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to his fathers, swore to the fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage and from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. These people had known nothing but slavery. But the Lord says, I didn't, I didn't pick you because you were a great people. He said, I picked you because. Now, that's it. He doesn't explain his, his reason, but he picked us that way. Now, in addition to that, over in verses 16 through 24, listen to this. He says, and you shall destroy all the peoples whom the Lord God delivers over to you. Your eyes shall have no pity on them, nor shall you serve their gods. That will be a snare to you. For you should say in your, if you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well that the Lord your God, what he did to Pharaoh and all of Egypt, the great trials which your eyes saw and the signs and wonders and the mighty hand and outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out, so shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid." Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornets among them until those who are left hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be terrified of them. For the Lord your God, the great and awesome God, is among you. And the Lord your God will drive out these nations before you little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you, and you will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. And he will deliver their kings into your hand, and you will destroy their name from under heaven. No one will be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. Now, a lot of people, and I understand this, think, well, God is so mean. I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Well, here, understand this. The people that God was trying to rescue, his people, were not infilled by the Holy Spirit. The Bible has a principle. It says first there's that which is natural and then that which is spiritual. Well, this is the picture of the natural. The only way to, to, to conduct spiritual warfare in the natural would be to kill the people that were possessed of the evil coming against you. God had to, had to do it that way. There was no, no strength in people. They gave them the law to show them what holiness was like, and no one could ever keep the law. There was no internal strength. There was no aid of the Holy Spirit to help them. But in the New Testament, we've been born again, and now the, now the battle is in the Spirit. We don't go killing people now who disagree with God. Now... We just deal with the demonic forces that are, that are arrayed against us. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of those strongholds. We are involved in spiritual warfare. The issues that, that plague our mind, the, the, atti the attitudes brought about by these seven tribes, for instance, 
are the kinds of things we're battling in the spirit. It's not a physical war now. It was a physical war then. And you need to understand that, that God loved his people so much that he had to literally wipe out cultures that were going to corrupt them because sure as the world, if God didn't do something, they would be corrupted. And his plans for them were fantastic, and he didn't want them to miss out. And he had plans for the world around them. Um, it's been pointed out by many Bible scholars and historians that this journey from Egypt to the Promised Land would probably be able to be completed in 11 days or maybe a month at the most. And they didn't get there in that short of time. Uh, there was a lot of things that happened. Sinai happened, uh, the, the dispensing of the Ten Commandments and all of those things. They got there a little later than that, but they got there pretty early on. And uh, it's amazing when you think about that trek. I, I saw some paperwork done by, uh, by a general in the army that outfitted armies and, and showed what it took to support an army. And folks... The, the, the amount of resources that had to come to this 2 million-plus crowd that left Egypt and moved toward the Promised Land was staggering. We're talking about freight trains full of water that were multiple miles long every day just to give enough to wash the dishes and have enough for drinking water. That's a huge crowd. And God was able to supply everything they needed in the desert. He fed them every day. He had a pillar of fire by night and a cloud cover by day to, to keep them from burning up and being uh, miserable the whole time. God did so much that you couldn't miss it, but yet they did. And as they progressed along the route to their new home, the Lord instructed them in the way that they should live and what their new culture should look like. As they approached the southern boundaries of their new homelands, the Lord instructed Moses to send in representatives to every, of every tribe to spy out the land. During the next 40 days, these men saw and confirmed that what the land was, and that it was everything the Lord had said. But, Numbers chapter 13, 27 through 33, records the report that was given to the people upon their return. They first of all said, we went into the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this, they had a massive cluster of grapes that was suspended on a pole carried by two people. They said, this is its fruit. So they brought the fruit. And, and what we know to even today, the Valley of Eshkol, where they got that particular cluster of fruit, produces grapes like nowhere else. In fact, the grapes are so large that they resemble small plums. It's incredible. And they had this massive uh, cluster of grapes that they carried back just to show people. It's amazing how that was misinterpreted here in a few moments. Nevertheless, he said, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Their cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Here's where they began to let their negative imagination get run away with them. Anak was, uh, it was basically code for the giants that Genesis refers to as being the, the, the seed or the offspring of demons and women. They got together and they, and they had children and, and they were giants. Well, 
there weren't any giants left because there was this thing called the flood. And the only people that survived the flood were in the ark, and there weren't any giants in the ark. Just one family. So what happens when we get into this place and, we, and we, our, our eye gate is open to all the stuff that tells us that what God is saying can't possibly be done, we begin to manufacture all the reasons to legitimize our inactivity. Now those grapes, which look so good and so awesome, they, they, they now just look like the food of giants. Everything turned around in their mind because they began to believe the lies that they saw with their eyes. I don't know about you, but I can tell myself a really negative story. I can excuse my fear to step out in faith by recounting all the reasons why it can't work. I fought that battle so many times in my life, and when I won the battle, something awesome happened. This church is, is an example of that. It wouldn't be here if I'd listened to my brain. It just wouldn't. It, it just couldn't happen. But you know, God plays with different laws than we do. What he says when he speaks the mechanism for fulfillment is already in place. He's just looking for a vessel to bear it to the earth. And he calls upon us to be that vessel. I wonder, I just wonder this morning, how many such missions, how many such opportunities, how many such dreams of God's heart are hanging in the balance just in this room full of people? The things God's put, God has put in your heart. And now you have to decide, do I believe the circumstances? Do I believe the fear? Do I believe the words speaking against me? Or do I believe that the one who deposited the word in me is able to fulfill it just as he spoke? I wonder. I wonder. What dreams are on life support today? I wonder. I wonder if God will have to take it from my shoulders and put it upon the shoulders of someone else because he wants it done. I would prefer to persevere. I would, I would prefer to, to believe God and, and distrust the, the fear. It has to be that way. We're living in a time when everything, I, I've been walking through airports lately and it just makes me furious to see the pall of fear, the constant recordings to tell us, oh, don't get close to anybody and wear this mask. This is going to protect you. And That's nonsense. Don't get me started. But what it's doing to people, you see them walking around, and, you know, they're just, they're just afraid to sit down anywhere. They're, they're, they're walking around like they're, they're, they're in, you know, in fear. Those that know their God will be strong and do exploits. Believe me, the enemy wants you to be part of the problem. 
It's, it's a moment in time when the church needs to be the church. Now that the holy music has started, i got to close. All right, I'm going to do that right now. The place where this happened was a place known as Kadesh Barnea, a place that these people visited numerous times over the years. And each time, something catastrophic seemed to happen. Kadesh Barnea, the name of it is very interesting. Kadesh is understood as being holy. Barnea is best pictured as being a fugitive from or staggering away or wandering from. In combination, it would speak of a condition of wandering away from holiness. Let me tell you, whenever you get to a place where you are wandering away from being set apart, where you're more interested in being part of the world around you in the negative sense than you are being part of the kingdom of God into which you have been birthed, when you want to live a lifestyle that looks more like the world around you than it looks like the kingdom of God, you are at Kadesh Barnea. And the decisions you make here will dictate what your future looks like. The people that day at Kadesh Barnea vacated their position as a set-apart people and chose to believe the lie and the reputation of the seven tribes as voiced by those that led them. And that day, they failed. And that day, God banished them to the wilderness and said, anyone over the age of 20 shall not see the promised land. For every day that you saw the promised land, you came back, you spies, and you influenced the people to do the wrong thing. And for every day, there will be a year. And 40 years transpired, and all that generation died, but a new generation came, being led by Joshua, whose name in the Hebrew and the name in the Greek basically are the same. Jesus is Joshua. And Jesus will lead them into the promised land. And as always, as always, when they get led right to the edge of the promised land, now the Jordan River is in flood stage. Flood stage. These people who saw themselves as grasshoppers probably said, oh yeah, sure, now, here we are, and we can't cross this river. But God had a plan. He had the priests go stand in the raging waters and 19 miles upstream at a place called Adam, he stopped the waters. Let me tell you, if you go stand in the water in obedience, if you'll put yourself in the place to do the crossing, God will stop everything coming downstream your direction from Adam. What Adam did to us, what Eve did to us, was they instituted a culture of sin. And when God brings you across the river, which I, I believe personally represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there will be power to cross into the promise. He'll stop what Adam gave you. And he'll give you something that he's been setting apart. Why don't you stand this morning? I apologize for running through this so quick today, but I, 
you know, it's a lot there. But I believe with all of my heart that God is welcoming, he's beckoning, he's saying, come on, come on. I want you to lay aside the old life. I want you to lay aside the, the, the mandates and the dictates of these seven tribes. I want you to see yourself as I see you. And I want you to set yourself apart for my purposes. How many of you would raise a hand and say, I want to do that today? That's right. And I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. Father, I pray right now over every one of these folks and those that hear us online, those that hear us in the family center. I pray in the name of Jesus today, Lord God, that you would open the eyes of understanding and show us what the hope of your calling is. Nobody here is unimportant. No one here is just here to, to be a spectator. Every one of us have a calling under heaven. And I pray today, oh God, that we would not let anything keep us from the destiny that you have in mind. God, make us hungry, make us thirsty, make us willing, oh God, to risk it all. So Father, I bless your name today. I thank you that even though we're not that important in and of ourselves, that you chose us out among all people to be a holy people before you. I thank you for that privilege and that awesome responsibility. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you guys. Have an awesome, awesome week. Give the devil a headache.